Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon from lead pastor, Jamie Miller. Okay, everybody doing all right today? Um, so I've been on my own for the last several days. Uh, Kim has been on a roundtable retreat for some pastor's wives with Antioch, and uh, <clears throat> I've been eating the chicken salad that she made over and over again down through a number of these different meals. And last night I wanted to do something different, so I, I thought, man, I want some sushi. And I went to, I went to uh, Albertson's, and I got rebuked af- out there uh, after second service for going to Albertson's for, <laughs> for sushi. But they didn't have any sushi. It was a bummer, man. I walked around just kind of, and I said no to a bunch of Oreos and things like that over and over again. And I ended up leaving with an apple and a box of Triscuits. Really ready for Kim to, Kim to come home. <laughs> Ate hummus and a few slices of turkey and Triscuits and an apple. It's weird. Bachelor meal, right? Okay. Hey, uh, again, tonight is the uh, vision night. We're doing one tonight from 5 to 6.30, and then on Wednesday night from 7 to 8.30, we want to encourage everybody to come to one of those, and we're going to be talking about the future and excited about that. Hey, let's read Galatians 2, 11 to 21. We're in the second part of a series on Galatians called The People of God. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, and so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of the, uh, in front of them all, you're a Jew. Yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we too may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I build, rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is the Word of God, and we say, thanks be to God. Amen. So we're part two here, and I'm calling this one the table. And uh, looking at this, I really feel like this is an important message, and just pray for grace for me to say the things I'm supposed to say in the next few minutes. Um, it's It's a big deal, because it's about who gets to eat at the table. Is there one table or is there like a table for the really insiders and then kind of a lesser table for the less insiders? And is it a two-tiered system or is it one big fellowship, capital F, or is it capital F and a little f, depending on who you are and what your background is? And so the implications are huge. 
And they're, they're, they're huge, not only for this, uh, you know, who we eat with, but just how we relate together as one people with all these different backgrounds, all these different ethnicities in the church. Super relevant for today because you see these, every now and then you see these, these white supremacist things popping up a couple years ago in Charlottesville, Virginia. Like that stuff is out there. And the church is called to be a people that represent a whole different kind of way of living. And so we've got to talk about this in order to, to grow into uh, what God has for us, to imagine and have faith for what God has for us. And so I want to just get everybody to kind of put on your thinking caps here. Put on your thinking caps and just let's imagine and, and just, uh, just let go of the idea that we already have everything figured out there is to figure out about this passage so that we can learn with humility about what God might be wanting to say to us. Sound good? So it's, it's having that repentance kind of mindset. Not in a negative way, but in an alignment to God. Make sense? So, amen. Um, last week we talked about the Gospel And simply put, the gospel is Jesus Christ crucified, raised on the third day by the power of God, resurrected to the right hand, uh, resurrected from the dead, and ascended to the right hand of of the Father. And what we're saying when we say Jesus Christ is crucified and resurrected, we are saying, therefore, He is the true King and Lord of the world. He's the, the true King and Lord of the world. The Jews were looking for the coming of the Messiah to deliver them from bondage, to uh, re- help them return from exile. Even though they were in Jerusalem, it was like they're still under the, hand of the, under the thumb of the Romans. They hadn't been delivered from the exile, this, this painful place that they were in. And so they were looking for the Messiah to come who was going to be the King, the Son of David, who would be on the throne and reign forever and ever. So that's what they were looking forward to. And in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, He deals with our sin through dealing with Adam, us, our old flesh, taking that to the the cross and to death so that we could be raised up new and alive in Him. And that victory over death is a vindication of all that He said He was going to do, and it's a victory over the powers of sin and death and the devil. Just trying to preach here a little bit. And so what that means is that the law is now not He's just the Messiah for the Jews. He is the Messiah, the King and Lord for all nations, for the entire world. It means that the law is over. That in Him, all of this that God promised in this story of Israel is fulfilled. That there is now one worldwide family of God in the Messiah, in Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus prays, His very last prayer, He says, May they be one. From every tribe and language, nation, tongue, may they be one, Father, just like I'm in you and you are in me. Let them be one because that's going to be the witness to the world to know that I am your son and I am whom you claim, uh, I am who, who, I, who I'm claiming to be. So, a little bit of background here. Uh, the Antioch church gets started because some people from Jerusalem go down there and they start sharing the gospel with Greeks and Romans. And the church ends up being this multi-ethnic group of people. The Jerusalem church hears about it. They send Barnabas down. He goes and he's like, Acts 11, wow, the grace of God is here. God's doing a work here. But there's all these people and they don't know the story of God. They don't know what all the, 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 that's gone into them believing what they now believe and experiencing the salvation that they're experiencing. Who do I get? He remembers Saul. He goes to Tarsus. Saul's been in Tarsus for the last decade and he brings him to Antioch. 
And there they begin teaching and they're growing in grace and favor. All of that's happening. But in the midst of that, those who are, have a Jewish background, there's some resistance going on. And part of the resistance is it's like a worldview. The law is like a worldview. They've been believing the same thing for 1,400 years. For, 1,400 years. That's like a long time of swimming in this water. And so there's resistance against people that are from the outside that haven't been marked off by the law. And, and there's a resistance against them. And there's another resistance, and it's called the Jewish exception. In the Roman government, uh, th- there's all these gods, uh, idols and things, and they would have festivals, but the Jewish people wouldn't participate in the festivals. And so they came up with a Jewish ex- uh, exception. And the reason this is important is because the people believed that when something bad happened to their city and the Jews weren't participating in the festivals, worshiping the idols, they then blamed the Jews for not you know, worshiping the gods and that was, that was supposedly protecting them. So they came up with a Jewish exception. And the exception was, you don't have to worship in the festivals, but you pray to your God that will be protected. So that was kind of the Jewish exception. And that was another point of resistance because now you've got pagan Greeks and Romans coming into the church and they are all, are they going to get that exception too? And, and so it's, it's a, it's a tense place. And what I'm talking about here is, is worldview. And worldview, and I'll, I'll do this a lot, worldview is like a fish. And, and it's a fish uh, swimming in water and he doesn't know he's, that was weird, and he's swimming in water and he doesn't know that he's swimming in water because that's, we just believe that. So we've got tons of them. But one of them I'll just mention is dualism. So dualism is the idea that uh, physical things are bad, spiritual things are good. And there's this huge dichotomy between the two. And it's a result of you know uh, uh, Greek philosophy. We it's been passed down into Western tradition, especially. And I remember probably 15 years ago, I was reading scripture with uh, a couple guys, Yancey and and Brian uh, Brown, who's up in Denver. And uh, and I just remember we were talking about creation being good, and I, it was like a new thought for me. I don't know if anybody's ever thought, like. And God said it was good before the fall. It was good. And that was a, I was like, wow. You know, I always just kind of thought it was bad. This is bad. You know, just lots of things are bad that are natural and spiritual things are good. And that's that dichotomy. It's a false dichotomy. And so uh, we were in this seminar. Uh, actually, it was a college class a couple weeks ago, several weeks ago, up in Vancouver at Regent College with N.T. Wright. And it was on Galatians. And so he, g- he gave a couple of phrases. And I know you're going to be surprised that I'm actually putting these up on, on the screen. But the first one, he said, we've Platonized our eschatology. And what that means is we've taken Plato's thoughts and philosophy and applied that to our view of the end. And therefore, spiritual th- uh, physical things bad, spiritual things good. And we've just kind of turned heaven into that. Like, we're out of here. And, and we go to heaven when we die. And so you see it popularized in, in all of entertainment stuff and far side cartoons. And we're just floating around in dry ice and on puffy clouds and playing. What am I doing? Yeah, playing harp. And, uh, and uh, so, so we've Platonized our eschatology. Another one is we've moralized our anthropology. 
And so what he was saying there is we've, we've just boiled everything down to don't do bad things and do good things, and that's the purpose of man when that so misses the vocation that God's called us to as image bearers to represent and to express His life and love and reign and the good reign of King Jesus on planet Earth by loving each other and expressing that, being a conduit for the will of heaven being done on the earth. And so these are huge things. I mean, we talk about this stuff. I, I, I want to remind you of a few pictures that I'll use from time to time. But th- there is an arc of the story of God from creation and to God's the, the fall and the promise to Abraham and ultimately Jesus comes and we're in this time of the church and we're looking forward to new creation. And we are signpost people that live in light of all that's gone before pointing toward what's coming and welcoming that future into the present. And so, you know, another one that I'll use a lot is that, that if we boil the gospel down to just my personal salvation, I'm here and I'm getting saved and I'm out of here going to heaven, then all of the stuff and the living the life, doing justice, making things right, becomes an optional add-on to the gospel. And so, I mean... Paul is not saying that. I, he, I saw that he was not living in line with the truth of the gospel by, by pulling back. He, it's not what he was believing, it's what he was doing. He was not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. So that's, that, that's a huge uh, uh, piece of all this. And so well, just keep thinking about you know, heaven and earth, they actually overlap. And the temple was a great way that, that the Jews thought the temple was where heaven met earth. So don't think of heaven as like just out beyond Pluto. Heaven is God's space. Earth is er, the earth he's given to man. And so there's this overlapping that's pictured in the temple. But Jesus comes and says, destroy the temple and I'm going to rebuild it in three days. I am the place where heaven meets earth is what Jesus is saying. I'm the place. I'm the mediator between heaven and earth, between God and man. And now you and me, those who are in Christ, all of us, the church, are the place where heaven meets earth. You individually, Paul says, you are the temple of God. So live a life that brings heaven in and not erps hell up. Make sense? So all that stuff's happening there. And, um, you know, another, uh, just, just one other little tidbit on that. So, uh, about 80 years ago, and this is, let me do the whole kingdom thing again. Like, there's this age and the age to come. And the Jews believed that at the resurrection, the age to come would start. Righteousness, joy, peace, plenty. And what they didn't expect was in the life, ministry, death, and resurrection was the age to come to push back into this age. And what I'm real, I said that last week. I'm saying it again this week because, because part of this living in line with the truth of the gospel, of us, of us being one people from all these different ethnicities, is something we have to live out. We have to live this thing out. We're in process. Nobody's arrived. Just can we say that together? Nobody's arrived. We haven't arrived. We're not there yet. We're on a trajectory. We're, we're in learning to imagine so that we can live in this in-between place between the times, the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God, living with lives that point to the way things are going to be. So that's, that's huge. And, and, and part of the things that fight against that, about 80 years ago, 
there was a big disagreement between the fundamentalists and the liberals. And everybody got real entrenched. You know, both sides of this dichotomy got entrenched. And the fundamentalist guys were saying, hey, you've got to believe in the gospel. Jesus is the way to heaven. And the, the liberals were saying, no, you need to do stuff. You need to fight for justice and those kinds of things. And so the fundamentalists say, well, justice is like a bad word now because they believe it. And I, what I want to say is that is a false dichotomy. That's somebody else's argument. That's not ours. And it causes us to miss what we're supposed to do and to be. And yes, it's, it's both of those things. The gospel here with Galatians, it's about the table. It's very interactive. It's very social. It's a big deal that, you know, I'm going to rebuke one of the founding apostles because he's not eating with somebody. Isn't that, isn't that powerful? And that's a social d- dynamic of the gospel. So here's the main thing. The gospel is that Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected, is now the true Lord of the world. And therefore, all nations eat together at one table as one people in Christ. So that's the table. That's the whole focus of this, of this, um, of this, of this message. And so, number one. One people means one table. And the reason we have to talk about this, so Paul rebukes Peter. Barnabas ends up getting led astray by all this hypocrisy. Probably affects Paul and Barnabas' relationship down, uh, down the line. You know, they eventually split up over an argument about John Mark. And so, who knows? I mean, the fact that Barnabas, I mean, Barnabas brought, Barnabas is the one that brought Saul in. And now Barnabas is pulling back himself. I mean, this, this is a big deal. And he's like, this is not good. And what I want to say there is we're in process. Paul's in process. Peter's in process. I mean, Peter was the one who welcomed the first Gentile into the church. And yet, here's Peter pulling back. Barnabas brings Saul into this Gentile Jewish church. And now Barnabas is pulling back. We're all, any of us, have places of growth. And, and, and so... That like to, to, to give an example of that, the church and slavery, okay? It took the church, like, I think it took too long, honestly. Like, it took way too long to figure that deal out. 1800s, we're still arguing. You got people in the South, pastors and all kinds of stuff arguing for slavery being from God. We're in process. Church and women. Church and women. Can I get a shout out from the women? Like it took way too long for the church to figure out some of this stuff. I mean, the slavery stuff written into our Constitution is like non-white males are, count for three-fifths of a person. That's in like right into our Constitution, a dehumanizing part of our Constitution. It's a bummer. You know, women... I, I'm sorry, it's a bummer, man. So like it took like a hundred years ago, women got to start voting. And I was doing some research on this and found out that the first woman got to uh, graduate from college in 1842. Go frogs right now, man. Let's, I mean, that, that, that deal, that's, that's wrong. And the church, so the, what I'm trying to say is the church, we haven't arrived. We're in process. And there's room for us to rethink and keep imagining the race peace and what it means for us to be a multi-ethnic, epicenter, life-giving, multiplying, reproducing, Christ-manifesting, Father's love, receiving, Holy Spirit-empowered church. 
We are, we're in process. We have, we're not there yet. And so there, this church and race then is, man, we, we've, and, and really the only reason I put race down, because race doesn't hit the mark. It's, it's, it's the church and ethnicities, which involves culture and all of that. Race is really kind of a derogatory way to put somebody else down because the truth is, newsflash, we're all a part of the same race. The human race. Check DNA and all of that. That's what makes us human. Now, ethnicities, man, we want to celebrate that. We want to celebrate all of the different... That's what the Bible says. Ethnos. We're the Gentiles. Unless you're Jewish. You know? And so... There's different ways we work through this. There's commission, and, and don't, don't do sins of commission about race stuff. Don't write mean articles and stuff like that and be a racist. But where most of us are going to struggle isn't with the commission, it's with the omission. It's, it's like, hey, we need to invite people to have meals. People that are different from us. We, people, different backgrounds, different, you know, different socioeconomic, all of those kinds of things. And just, I think, wake up to the, the sadness of being indifferent about this. And that's because it's worldview, that's why we're talking about it. That's precisely why we're talking about it. Because when it's worldview, I just don't think about it. I don't think about the, how we're getting along with each other in the church. I don't think about this unity thing. I don't think about what that means for us to live this here and then live it out in the world around us. Everybody tracking? So it's a big deal. One people means one table. One people marked by faith in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. So here in verse 15, we who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law. Now Paul says that over and over again in this passage. And yet, we talked about it last week. I want to hit it again. It's like we, we have to go, wait a minute wait a minute, I thought that's exactly what they thought. I thought they did think they were justified by observing the law. They would just do this thing and observe all these things and it was kind of like working their way up and that's what they thought. you know. And, and he's like over and over again, we know that a man's not justified by observing the law. The law was given 450 years after the promise to Abraham. 450 years after a promise that you are my people and you have a covenant of grace with me that I've enacted unilaterally on your behalf. And 450 years later, he gives them the law to kind of mark them out as, as separate from the nations, to hold back the chaos. But it wasn't a system of works righteousness. It was marking them out. And so we're, we know that we're not justified by, by law, but by faith. Now it's the faithfulness of Jesus Christ that mark, we are marked out by faith in trusting in what He's done. And I want to hit this thing about faith in versus faith of. He says there in verse 16, um, we know that a man's not justified by observing law, but by faith in Christ. That's the faith of Christ, of Jesus Christ. It can also say that. So that Greek word ek that's translated in can also be translated of. In, of, by, for. All of those are translations. Yancey's not in this service. He was in the first two but he's a, a Greek scholar. He translates the Bible. That's does Bible translation teams around the world. We've talked about this for years. In fact, I'm using a 1984 NIV, the new 
the, the 2011 has what I'm saying right now as a footnote in it. It can also be translated the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. We are, um, we are justified uh, by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law, no one will be justified. And the point, just the point I'm trying to make is that when we say faith in Jesus, we, we do want to have faith in Jesus, but that's a different feel than the faithfulness of Jesus. So we don't want to make faith like just that's the one work that we do and we've got really strong, some of us have strong faith, we can swing the hammer at the county fair and hit the deal up and we've got saving faith and then radical, apostolic, prophetic, anointing, change the world, missionary faith. And when he's just saying, believe, put your faith in what Jesus Christ has done. That's what marks us off as the people of God, Jew and Gentile together in one worldwide family in Christ. Which I'm looking at Ben, and I just I just remembered. I want to I want to say this, man. Praise God, Ben's just straight back from Exodus, which is a retreat for freshmen. For freshmen, a bunch of our guys are, are leaders uh, for those guys, and uh, they did a, a just a response time at the end. Had 12 people give their lives to Jesus just uh, this morning, a few minutes ago, and uh, he was telling me somebody's. I mean, that's what that's what God does. He when he touches our hearts and lives, there's wonderful salvation that happens because of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Okay, the last piece there is one people. We are one people united in death, in the death and in the life of Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.20 He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. And I'm, I, let me just stop there and say, I remember a long time ago, um, Hearing a guy go, man, I mean, who can do this? As if this was something that we were trying to one day get to do. Like I've cruci- like I'm crucifying, I'm crucifying, I'm crucifying, and now I'm crucified with Christ. And can I just say that's uh, that's not it? That's not what he's saying. He's saying this is objective truth. I've been crucified with Christ. Like Romans 6.6, 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with Christ on the cross. So there's an objective thing that's it's like in our old Adam died. And everybody needs a revelation of this. We need to see that we were crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ, objective truth, and now I'm united with Him in His death and united with Him in life. And this is... This is here. This is this is the whole basis of the one family. He puts to death Adam, and we are alive and new and hope filled and fresh and vital in Jesus Christ because of His life. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Okay, so I'm saying it that way with emphasis because some days you don't feel like your faith in Him is that great. And I live by faith in the Son. We do, but what about when you're just pretty crummy and just you got little bitty faith? Anybody? Is that besides me? Is that anybody else? Several, so like six or seven. And uh, so the the point is, but living by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, man, all things are possible. By the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. So it's, it's huge. Um, uh, 
So we're united, this, this one worldwide family, because of Jesus dying for us and Him being raised and including us in His life. Back in 1938, a guy named Clarence Jordan finished up a PhD in Greek at Southern Seminary. He ended up doing a cotton patch translation. He was uh, of the New Testament. He was uh, from Georgia. And he goes back to his hometown, little town in rural Georgia, and he, uh, he uh, starts a, a koinonia farm. And it's basically a commune. I mean, it's people just sharing their resources and stuff, black and white together. And 1942, starts a church with black and white people together, African-American, whatever, European, however you say that, uh, PC these days, but just everybody's together. And, and uh, this was radical. I mean, it was, it was really radical. In fact, as time goes on, they start getting incredible persecution. Clan rallies and cross burnings and people shooting through the windows of the houses. And, uh, I saw an interview with one of the kids that said, uh, that said uh, he, he said, yeah, dad told us if we saw lights, car lights coming, to get into the shadows. Get behind a tree, get down low, get in the shadows where the car lights couldn't see us. And then that's the way they lived. They ultimately had this boycott of their goods and services in the late 50s. It almost shut them down. But it's still going today. Habitat for Humanity came out of that, out of that farm. That's just you know, like changing the world. And so the, uh, making things right. So, uh, you know, it sounds radical. I, I was talking with Graydon about this yesterday, and he said, you know, racism and prejudice is sticky. It's sticky for us to talk about, sticky for us to work through, and yet we need to. We, we need to work through this because the story of Clarence Jordan and Koinonia Farms still feels radical. You know, 50, 60 years later, it still feels radical. And so the Lord wants us to have an expanding imagination about what does this mean for us as the people of God to live life together. One people, every tribe, language, nation, and tongue. Like to go ahead and picture what's coming in the new heavens and new earth. And we want to do that with all... I mean, I want to live a holy life because that's what's coming. I want to live a beautiful life because that's what's coming. I want to live in right relationships because that's what's coming. I want to love people because that's what's coming. I want to live as one people of God because that's what's coming. So, you know, Barnabas and Paul, they took some risks. Peter took some risks. They, they took risks when they were doing all of this back in the day. And I think the Lord, I don't know what all it means, but I know that the Lord's given us an invitation to dream, to imagine, to have faith for more than what we've lived into up to this point. And by God's grace and the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, there's power for it. There's power for us to live this way. Y'all stand up. And let's just we're just going to take a few minutes here and respond to the Lord. We do this at every service. You guys know if you're visiting with us, we, this is something we do. And, and part of it's just a way of going, man... Lord, would you just uh, solidify this in my own heart? And specifically, I'm just, I felt like one of the things is just, Lord, would you wake us up, wake us up to worldview? Like if we're just floating along and being complacent, would you wake us up to the reality of one family and one table and one people of God? Wake us up. Lord, what does that look like? Help us. And maybe you identify with Paul or Barnabas or 
Peter and just, I mean, we're all, you guys, it's a journey. And, uh, I, but I, I believe though, this is one of the focal points of the New Testament because so much of the New Testament is about this issue. Jew and Gentile, the, all the peoples coming together. It's why it's still a big issue. And so, Father, would you do it in us? Would you wake us up, Lord, to worldview? Would you help us to see uh, your lordship in every aspect of our lives and especially how we relate to others, how we see other people and how we love? And Lord, if there's some next steps that you're putting on our hearts, Lord, open us up right now to it. And uh, just whatever you're wanting to do, lead us forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Just if there's a prayer you need, come and get it. Put your heart in line with Him. His heart for us. We need You, Lord. Amen.